If you have your books, we are on page about page number 101. 101. So tonight is two, probably two nights worth of leadership. Pastors lead. If you're following along 102, sometimes one hears of situations in which churches and their pastors have fallen out and are fighting one another. Most often such strife occurs when either the congregation or the pastor has failed to recognize the legitimate authority that belongs to the other. So there's authority on both sides, I believe, when it comes to church. Uh, so uh, there is a real sense that in which pastors need to submit to the churches, their churches, and also a real sense when churches need to submit to their pastors. If either side fails in this mutual submission part, trouble is almost certain to follow, says our text. So we find here the question is, why is it so important to avoid falling out between the pastor and the congregation? Why is, it, why is unity such a, I think, such an invaluable inv- thing? Tremendously important to maintain a unity. And so we work toward that. And that is our goal. So why is that so important? Do you think? Well, nothing's going to get done. Nothing's going to get done. And what about our testimony to the, con- to the people outside, too? We want to... And people are going to come to our church and not feel and feel well. They're squabbling there. I'm not going to that church, and so they're they're not going. So it's very important. This thing of unity is essentially important. So identity of the office. So the word pastor means shepherd. Poimen. I'm sure. I'm sure I massacred the Greek writing. Poimen. Uh, pastor. A shepherd. Overseer is episkopos, a bishop, and then an elder is a presbyteros, a Presbyterian, Episcopalian. And so that's where those, from these, all three words, what do you think about these three words, pastor, overseer, and elder? Could be the same word. Could be the same person. It's, it's different roles, uh, dignity, uh, overseer, pastor, leading, shepherding, overseer is sort of like the uh, manager, if you want to call it that, and the elder is the one that gives it dignity. I saw that, read it today. Old people in the church. There we go. An elder. So it, it's... I think it's not only an elder, but also an elder maturely, uh, spiritually mature, mature and spiritually mature as well. Uh, Might be some new things to you. Uh, I just probably will be some new things to you. I don't want to change anything, but where things come from, where does elder rule come from? And so that's part of what we're going to learn tonight. And is it against the Bible? A board of elders, and so that's where I want you to see where it comes from, because a lot of churches today, non-Baptist churches, are ruled by a board of elders, and so a lot of the popular, pardon, yes, I'm not. There's a there's a lot like John John MacArthur's church is is, is has a board of elders, I believe. So we find it right from your, right from your outline. We find that there's three words: uh, the shepherd of flock is the pastor. The office of pastor is clearly established in the New Testament, but it's not usually given that label of pastor, if you would. The office can be designated by two terms: the overseer, the bishop, the elder. Actually, three terms. I think they all go together. If you have your Bibles open, it's Acts 20 is the first one we're going to go to. Acts chapter 20, and if you're on page 102, it's question three in your book. I'm not sure on your sheet of paper what question is. I'm not sure the questions are on. Are the questions on there? Let's see. Are they on there? They are not really on there. Okay. Questions are not on there. We're in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Acts 20, 17. Paul is leaving. He wants to write to the elders. Acts 20, 17. It says, for here. 
And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the what of the church? Elders. He called, he called the ones that, and so it's not just singular, he called the elders of the church. And then 28, it says, For a seer, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased in his own blood. So they're overseeing, they are shepherding, and they are they are elders. And so I think those three words, and pretty much whether you believe in elder, your church practices, elder board rule, elder rule, whatever you want to call it. By the way, if you think about it like this, the pastor and the deacons really are elders. They're elder in maturity. We just don't call it that per se. But we are more of a church-governed body believing together. And so each the pastor plays his part, the spiritual leaders play the part, and we all, but really the church is it's their decision to make. And, I, and the idea that the pastor makes all decisions autonomously and whatever he wants, that's not found in Scripture. That's actually contrary to what the Scripture would say, that you are dictating every single aspect of the church is not what God, I don't think, intended. So our question for us is, what must we conclude about the relationship between the terms pastor, bishop, an elder from Paul's use in the passage, the answer, of course, is the terms all refer to the same office. Every elder is identified as a bishop and every and given the responsibility to pastor or to shepherd. So those three words is like dad, father, and however another third word for that, or I don't know, whatever. But it's like it's the same person, but three three different angles, if you would. Now we find in also this kind of interchange happens in First Peter chapter five. You want to get your five one? First Peter chapter five verse one. Question is, what did Paul command the elders to do? First Peter chapter five verses one and two. Possibly, the elders which are among you, I exhort. Now notice again the plurality. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight, the overseer, the bishop thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So feed the flock. So that's the purpose there. We find that what Paul commanded to do to feed, and to oversee. So they were to shepherd, and they were to oversee, and they are to be elders, they are to be these three things. They're all really, and no one really disputes that or wants to come against that. These three words refer to spiritual leader of a church. So Baptist, in further evidence, we find it in Titus chapter 1, please. Titus chapter 1, 5 to 7. Titus chapter 1, 5 to 7. What are 1 Timothy... 2 Timothy and Titus called together pastoral epistles. Very good, pastoral epistles. Those three are called. And then we have the prison epistles, we have the pastoral epistles, etc. First, or first Titus 1, verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, lacking, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, etc., the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right unruly. For a bishop, an overseer, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. So we find here, it's interesting, every time I've emphasized the idea of elders plural, because you're going to find, if a church is... I think sometimes we are we limit ourselves and we think that our way is the only way. 
there are other ways to do things that people do that we don't necessarily agree with or we don't necessarily, but I'm telling you, it's not like they're heretical. Absolutely. Matter of fact, there's not a New Testament church that had just one pastor that's mentioned. But just because that's the typical way does not mean it's mandatory. So what I'm going to, we have to drill it down to, is there a place in the scripture that says there must be a plurality of pastors, that there has to be that, and there is not that? So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, if you'll just hang in there and follow along. Uh, interesting. This book, I am reading along with it, uh, which is Baptist Distinctive by, uh, his first name is Kevin Balder. Uh, he has some interesting points about that. Quoting now, the same kind of interchange occurs in 1 Peter 5. Peter announced that he was exhorting elders. He commanded them to feed the flock and of God, etc. He also commanded them to oversee. Uh, let's continue on. Baptists, uh, in absence, I uh, say, passages like this lead Baptists to believe the term pastor, bishop, and elder all refer to the same office. They find further evidence in Titus 1, which you just read. In the absence of the contrary, Baptists conclude that every pastor is also an elder and a bishop. Every elder, elder is also a pastor and a bishop. Every bishop is also a pastor and an elder. And Baptists do not believe in elders who are not also pastors and bishops. So if you're an elder, you're a pastor, you're a bishop. If you're a pastor, you're an overseer, you're an elder. If you're an overseer, you're a pastor and an elder. So they are just, I'm not, not trying to be tongue-tied, but, the, but that's what it is. They are working together. As, it's different names, the same office. Of course, now, some other churches see the matter differently. As you're turning to 1 Peter 5.17, please, we find some believe that the New Testament teaches two offices of elder, the teaching elder, who's also a pastor, sometimes called the minister of the word, and the ruling elder who is not a pastor. Typically, these churches believe that all pastors are also elders who rule, but not all ruling elders are pastors. So that's where we get this from. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we see the salient text for this idea. 1, Peter chapter, 1 Timothy, sorry, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Most important proof text for this position. Now, what is a proof text? If I say, I believe that God shall love the world, where am I going? I'm going to John 3, 16, because that's the proof text for what I say. If you're proof texting, you are, I believe, in eternal security, and you're going to list all these references, and you never explain how they tie into that. If I'm, if, to avoid proof texting, I will say Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So I believe once you're saved, that's not proof text. But if you simply, you'll find on the internet, people will list a, a doctrine and they'll list texts that probably have nothing to do, if you, especially Calvinist, if you're Calvinist, anyway, some, have nothing to do or they actually are against what you're trying to teach. And so proof texting is listing a lot of references which look good, but they may not necessarily teach what you're trying to get across. So you're just proof texting. But if you want a proof text, then we're going to, that's a text that proves what we believe the Bible teaches. And so that, this is the proof text. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders rule that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So we as Baptists would say, we'll do our 
our interpretation first is that the contra- there's a contrast here, but it's not between the ruling elders and the teaching elders. It's between the elders who are serving adequately and then those elders who are going above and beyond. That's the normal Baptistic teaching interpretation of that scripture. The why there's two different ones. There's the teaching elder and there's the ruling elder. That no, it's it's elders who are doing adequately, then those who are Paul, the Apostle Paul. Going beyond, above and beyond, 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 beyond. That would be the Apostle Paul. However, some see this as a contrast between elders who rule and elders who teach. So let's read it again. Let the elders, again plural, that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So we have rule, we have elders who are, are working. We have some others who are laboring in the doctrine and the word. And so that's where there's two. There's the, the ruling elder group, and then they have the teaching elder group. And so that's where those two would come into play as far as being two separate aspects of the role of elder. All ruling elders are together responsible for making decisions within the church, but some of these elders receive double honor because they labor in preaching and teaching. That's how they would interpret it. Some non-Baptists take this verse as sufficient warrant to insist that eldership be divided between two offices. And I can read you, a, I can read you the doctor. I don't know if I can do it without messing up my thing here. I'm going to try it, I guess. I hope I didn't mess it up. Uh, it says right here. The consistent pattern throughout, this is from Grace to You Church. The consistent pattern throughout the New Testament is that each local body of believers is shepherded by a plurality of God-ordained elders. Now, by the way, a lot of Baptist churches have a plurality of God-ordained elders. We just call them the pastoral staff. Now, typically, the, the, the senior pastor is the role of the one who really oversees the entire staff. Maybe in the elder rule, it's like you have all of them are on the equal footing, but we have the teaching pastor, but we also have several other elders on the elder board. And there are some instances, I believe, where the elder board makes the decisions for the church rather than the church voting on it. So that's where there'd be like an elder board rule. So we have to be careful and not throw everything, oh, that's just we just sometimes there's way you like for example my son was talking to a pastor in Virginia Virginia Beach or speak a, a free will Baptist pastor and we, you know, we've often heard that free will Baptists well then you can be saved and lose it saved and lose it he says we don't believe that at all he says matter of fact the pastor said what I would say if a person walks away from the church they never were saved in the first place that's exactly what I would say. If a person says they're saved, but then they fall, they, they back, they, they drift out of church and neglect, you know, say, I, "I don't, not, nothing anymore to do with God," I would say they were never saved in the first place. Not that they had it and lost it. For the proof text is, "For God so loved the world, He gave them whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." We neglect that should not perish. If you trust Christ as your personal Savior, you are not going to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Now we want to get to that, but have everlasting life, which is a great part too. But it also says, shall not perish. So it's not just you're getting the everlasting, you're not going to perish. 
I think that's a pretty good proof text for eternal security forever. When we receive Christ as Savior, I want to read a little bit more out of here. <laughs> Let's see. Again and again, reference is made to the plurality of elders in the, each of the various churches. In fact, every place in the New Testament where the term presbyteros, elder, is used, it is plural except where the Apostle John uses it of himself in Second and Third John, and where Peter uses it of himself in First Peter 5. Nowhere, now this is from the, the doctrinal statement of Grace Church, nowhere in the New Testament is there a reference to a one-pastor congregation. It may be that each elder in the city had an individual group in which he had a specific oversight, but the church has seen as one church, was seen as one church, and decisions were made by a collective process and in reference to the whole not the individual parts. So just as assuredly, as I say, I think we're still okay with the way we are set up governmentally in our church. There are going to be someone else say, you know what, the Baptists, the way they do that thing, they really don't have it right. And the point is, every single time you find churches, they have a plurality of elders. But does that mean we're wrong to have a pastor? If, if, if a churches are wrong to have a singular pastor, and they've got to have a multiplicity of pastors, that really is going to be difficult for, for small churches. So is there a place that says we have to have a plurality of elders? And that's, there's not, there's not. Let's continue on, please. If you don't mind, we shall continue on. Now, sometimes, or uh, in the past, they have gone outside the uh, scope of the Word of God to say, well, now, perhaps in the Greek culture in that day, that there was a plurality of elders. But we have gone with this. The absolute authority of the New Testament. Whatever the New Testament says, that's how we believe that we should run the church because it's God's church and he has told us how that we should operate within the scope of that. Let's see. Because the second interpretation is less complicated is to be preferred. Nevertheless, 1 Timothy 5.17 ought to be recognized as an ambiguous text. Either interpretation is possible for just that reason. It cannot be used as a proof text for either side of the debate. In other words, if this is the strongest evidence for dividing the office of elder into teaching and ruling elders, and it is, he says, then the evidence is just not strong enough, in other words, to make us change. It's too ambiguous of a text. Let's read it one more time before we turn. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Oh, and by the way, you must have more than one per church. It doesn't say that. The example is, yes, all the churches, New Testament, except for those couple we mentioned earlier, you mentioned that it's plurality of more than one. But we see that even alone in Baptist churches. We see more than one. We call it pastoral staff. <clears throat> so the number of elders per church, that's our next part. you have a question before we go further? Thought, comment? Yes. Yes. Church structure as it is today was based on a lot of Catholic church structure. 
Could be. All right. Yes, ten, yes, had to have ten to have a synagogue. Yes, uh, we'd be shorthanded tonight. Be shortchanged. All right, uh, let's continue on. The number of elders, per, and the stipulations are right in your book, so I'm going to go right through them. If you, you're on page 103, if you will follow along there, please, and I'll try to read them slowly. I'm not sure what we have next on our thing. Uh, stipulations, yes, that's what we are next. What's the next thing up right here? Yep. Stipulations. So here are some basic principles. Uh, number one, if you're following along, read, I'll read slowly. Plural eldership is not the same thing as elder government. Elder government, they're running everything. The, the church has to decide nothing. Plural eldership means they have more than one pastor. So plural elders may function as spiritual leaders and advisors while not functioning together as a decision-making board. So we have that today. We have, we have a past, I remember when I was at Dr. Rogers' church, Adrian Rogers, he had 24 men, full-time pastors on his staff. church had 26,000 members. So he had 24 full-time staff members pastors on his staff. It's like a little city. Imagine 26,000 people trying to keep track of. And so, uh, yeah, so we would, that's a plurality of elders right there. That's bigger than, uh, is that bigger than Ashland? That's bigger than Ashland. I think more people than Ashland has. So that'd be, that'd be, we have, we have a plurality of elders, but not as simple as a board of elders who decide all the things for the church. Uh, the color of the carpet, et cetera, all these different things. They decide all those things what they're going to spend money on. That's not the same thing. That has to be the same thing. So simply, because a church reading from your book has multiple elders does not mean that those elders exercise decision-making authority over the congregation. Secondly, plural eldership need not divide the office of elder. Some churches have both ruling elders and teaching elders. Many churches with plural elders, however, recognize that each of their elders is also a pastor and a bishop. So you have a pastoral staff, you have the senior pastor, you have the associate pastor, you have the music pastor, you have the leadership pastor, you have the worship pastor, you have the visitation pastor, you have the education pastor, you have all these different pastors together. We have the senior pastor, but they all need to be called to the ministry, I'm thinking, at least called to the, that ministry. God has let them that clear that direction. Maybe not all ordained by any means, or, or yeah, or, but at least they, want, they believe God has called them to that ministry. The senior pastor having the, the number one say, if you would. Perhaps in an elder rule, there'd be more of a the pastors and the other ones are just right on the same as far as authority level. Some some not. So that would be different churches do it different way. And both of my brothers in law are go to churches that are elder rule or have an elder elder board, whatever you call it like that. I think there's different nuances for different churches. Thirdly, elder plural eldership does not obligate a church to utilize unpaid volunteer elders. Some churches do expect some of the elders to support themselves. They put the word of pastor in there. Plural pastorship does not obligate a church to utilize unpaid volunteer pastors or pastoral staff members. Some churches do expect some of their pastors to support themselves through other vocations. However, many churches with plural eldership believe that they are biblically obligated to support all of their elders. So if you're on pastoral staff at a certain church, whatever it is, then they're going to, you're going to be a full-time staff member. That's just the way they believe that's the way it should be. Different churches have different cultures in that regard, if you would. Fourthly, plural eldership does not necessarily destroy any administrative order or structure among the pastors of a church. Some churches believe that all elders should be absolutely equal in every respect. 
Other churches recognize that elders may be functionally uh, unequal. They may have the authority structure among them, even if they remain equal in terms of eldership. In other words, plurality does not require complete parity in every respect. I'm thinking that John MacArthur on his board, he's going to have, he may not have it on paper, but I think in reality, whatever he wants pretty much is what's going to happen. I mean, he's been there 50 some years, so uh, th- at this point in time. Now, whoever follows him is going to have a big, huge role to fill, fuse to fill. But you could have pastors where this is, this, is, this is the executive pastor, he does the finances. This is the teaching pastor. This is the youth pastor. This is the visitation pastor. This is the young couples pastor. And they're all on the same level. But typically, in our circles of Baptists, the senior pastor typically has the one over authority to make the... The buck's going to stop on his desk. Final, fifth one. The question of how many elders a church may have is not the same of the question of how many elders a church must have. You may have more elders than members. That's going to be a very difficult paradigm to follow. Uh, but then you may only have one. So the bottom line is, are we a, contrary to God's word, as you're turning to 1 Timothy 3, as we've been closing for tonight, are we a contrary to God's word by having a pastor? Right, let's finish up with 1 Timothy 3, and we'll just start, probably pick up there again next week. 1 Timothy 3, please, as we held, head on to... Uh, this we'll just read through this a little bit, and then we'll come back to we'll start with early church practices next time. First Timothy three. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, aspires to that office of overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not no striker, not greedy to a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler. Now, covetousness, before I go further, I was interesting that uh, I was used to listen to a podcast about it half a year ago, every once in a while, and the guy would sit as a pastor drinking whiskey while he did his podcast. And I, I'm not given to wine. I just thought, hmm, we missed that part somewhere. One that ruleth, by the way, that's a popular thing in some circles in Christianity today. I don't feel, I'm not trying to be political, but there's a lady who went to a, a, a prayer breakfast last week, and she got up by starting her, at the prayer breakfast, how she, her boyfriend grabbed her because she wanted to have some kind of, her fiancé who she's living with at a prayer breakfast, she mentioned, yes, and, and, yes, and at a prayer breakfast, and she mentioned that, what they he did, he wanted to be you know a relationship before she went. I'm too busy today, and she started her prayer breakfast speech with that. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, but you see where our our Christianity has gone, where Christianity has gone. So I wasn't trying to be, I'm just saying, this is where we've come in America because we've let go of the teachings of everybody. Everybody doesn't have to have the qualifications of a pastor, but everybody should have the qualifications of what a Christian. There are some things we we take responsible for. Sin is still wrong, regardless of whoever. Sin is still wrong. 
For a, 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 one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up he with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. I'm telling you, you read that through and hardly any man goes, I, I want to be a pastor. I don't. I told my wife, I don't ever want to, you never have to worry about me ever being a pastor. I'm never going to be a pastor. I told her that very word in college. And so... By the time I got about 19 at 95, had taken, got my master's degree, and I was like, the Lord's changing my wanter. I had a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. My father-in-law's a pastor. I don't ever want to be a pastor because I know what pastoring entails. And so, but the Lord changed my heart. And so I believe, and after they changed my wanter, I'm not the perfect pastor by any means. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... This you have to be called to this. I believe you have to be called. the the uh, The rice singers may not have had a call, I believe they have may not have had a call to go, but they're going to need a call to stay. You're going to make make sure as a missionary you've been called because when you get over there and the, Stephen's the same thing. This is what God has called me to do. When when the mosquitoes come roaring by, or or maybe in fear of their life in Columbia. I can't imagine going to Columbia. I mean that's. It's like it's not close to the gangs, I guess, but it's still Colombia, and the jungles and the snakes and all those things. And oh, they have a difficult time, and one of the spouses gets sick. Lord, I, I believe you called us here. I remember the first week, two weeks at Berea, and I was in thirteen Columbus hospitals in the first two weeks visiting. First two weeks, I got that receptionist thing. I was on the knees at the bedroom, said, "Lord, I can't do this." As I accepted the pastorship at Berea, and I said. First two weeks, I, I can't do this. This is more than I can handle. It was, it was like overwhelming. I was overwhelmed. And uh, but it's what you led me to do. I believe you opened this door, and I'm got to remember that. And, he, and we as his children, God's called us to, to serve. And we have to remember that in the difficult times. So we'll get back to that. We'll start again next time. The pastor, and then what the duties of the pastor are, and then uh, what's his response, the pastoral authority. Lord, we just thank you that you care for us and help us, Lord, to strive to walk with you and be and led by the Spirit. Lord, as we all strive that direction, Lord, we can continue, I believe, working together in unity. May we do so. Lord, bless our church. May we see. Thank you for the good things that I already prayed to happen of late. May we continue to see more people come and be involved and that we would be all closer to you. Lord, it seems like you're you just... Uh, cusp of you coming back. We're just on that cusp. Lord, help us be faithful until you come for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.